0: are listening to the five points church Planting podcast where two church planters try to make one good point my name is reed and i'm the intern pushing all the buttons today on the pod we're going to look at church planting from the perspective of a sending church that helps support new church plants talking with us today is dr sean lucas He's the senior pastor of Independent Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee, and also a husband, father, author, RTS professor, thoughtful tweeter, and St. Louis Cardinals fan. Let's kick it over to Hunter Brewer, our resident church planner, to get things started.
1: Thanks, Reed. Our other host is not going to be with us today, John St. Martin. I think that it has something to do with the fact that the Tennessee Titans are two and O. And his beloved Minnesota Vikings of his hometown are 0 2. It's either that or it's just snowing too heavily in Fargo. So let's get started. Our guest this morning is Dr. Sean Lucas, senior pastor of Independent Press, and he is a St. Louis Cardinals fan. Reed, the intern that helps with the podcast, is an Atlanta Braves fan. Reed, do you have any questions or comments for Dr. Lucas before we jump into? church planning talk.
0: Um, Yes. As I was reading Dr. Lucas's bio last night and he mentioned uh, being a Cardinals fan, I'm still recovering from the 10 run first inning last year around this time. And it's looking like it could be a possibility that the Braves have the Cardinals again in a postseason matchup. So I'm just wondering um, what do I have to look forward to as a Braves fan this fall from the Cardinals perspective?
2: More pain and misery. Uh, yeah, what it's like twenty division titles, Braves fan, and one World Series. It's 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 just pain and misery. Yep, <laughs> uh, yep, so. yep. Uh, but nobody's going to beat the Dodgers, so it doesn't really matter.
1: Sean, you're a senior minister of established church in the PCA. You have many responsibilities, including preaching and shepherding the flock. I think our audience would be interested to know. With all that you have to do, with all that senior pastors have to do, why should church multiplication be of concern?
2: Well, so even though I serve at Independent Presbyterian Church, uh, we are Presbyterian uh, and have been part of the PCA since 1999. Uh, and so that means then it's not just simply our own discreet church that we as elders have to give care to, but the church generally, when called thereunto, as the Book of Church Order has it, uh, which means then that within our presbytery, uh, when our churches prosper, uh, then, then we prosper as a congregation. Um, but also that, uh, you know, that the presbyteries need to grow and need to multiply um, because ultimately we long to see uh, new churches started and those churches full. Uh, so just from kind of a senior pastor of a congregation seat, uh, church multiplication is important because of the the continued reach of a presbytery. But we also believe in the ordinary means of grace. Uh, I grew up in an independent Baptist uh, context where we would go to uh, apartment complexes and knock on doors, or we'd go into a trailer park and knock on doors uh, and try to evangelize. Um, and that's important and that's good. I uh, wouldn't want to, to denigrate that. But uh, if someone in one of those situations professes their faith, like how do you actually form them as disciples? How do you know what does the rest of the Christian life look like? Uh, you know, as as Presbyterians, we believe in the ordinary means of grace, and so the preaching of the word is the means of evangelism, uh, but also the context of discipleship. Well, where does the means of grace happen? Where where are they offered? Well, in the context of a local church, and so it's another reason why, as as Presbyterians, we believe in church multiplication. Uh, is because church planting really is the best means of evangelism, and so both of those reasons—the uh, growth of a presbytery uh, and uh, evangelism and discipleship in the context of the ordinary means of grace—is why, uh, as a senior pastor of a Presbyterian church, I'm I'm firmly uh, I have a deep belief in church multiplication. Uh, there's one more kind of more personal reality, and that's um, I. I recognize that my kids may not end up coming back to Memphis, Tennessee. Uh, They may end up in, you know, Baton Rouge or New Orleans or Jackson, Mississippi or Little Rock or uh, other places besides. And we need to have uh, not just one PCA church in those cities, but multiple uh, PCA churches in those cities and the surrounding environs. uh, So that uh, when my kids move to those places to get a job, they have a church right there. Uh, and they, they can live with their families, uh, and they have the choice of churches, and they're going to hear the Word of God preached. Uh, and so that's another very personal reason. Uh, as I want to make sure that our, my kids and our other covenant kids, when they go throughout the country, there's a solid Bible-believing, means-of-grace-oriented, Reformed Presbyterian church for them to go to.
1: Sean, you were inter- instrumental in helping form a church planting network How does one persuade ruling elders, even fellow teaching elders, staff, congregants in the pew who often think that there are churches everywhere, that this is crucial, that this is critical, that this is important?
2: Yeah. Well, so when we started the Mid-South Church Planning Network in 2013, uh, one of the points that I made to our leadership was it's great to evangelize overseas. Uh, and plant churches overseas. But if we lose our own children and grandchildren uh, because there are not solid Bible-believing, reformed churches, then, like, what are we doing? I mean, our first priority really needs to be our to our own Jer- Jerusalem and Samaria. Uh, and that was persuasive for our, our folks. Uh, again, because uh, in Hattiesburg, um, while a lot of our students, our covenant kids stayed home, A lot of them went elsewhere around the country uh, and didn't always have a a solid church option for them in the city they were moving to. Um, Here in Memphis, um, you know, a city of 1.4 million people in the metropolitan area uh, and uh, uh, until Trinity Church particularizes, we have six PCA churches on the Tennessee side uh, and then three on the Mississippi side. So nine PCA churches for 1.4 million people. Uh, When you compare that to Birmingham that has over 20 or Nashville that has over 20, even Jackson, Mississippi that has uh, 20 to 22, um, you know, Memphis and its surrounding area is significantly underserved with PCA churches. And again, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ and other denominations. We pray for them regularly from the pulpit. Uh, but, uh, we really do believe as Jay Gresham Machen said that the reformed faith is grand, not only that it's grand, but it's true.
1: What impact does church planting, uh, or excuse me, what impact does participating in church planting have on the supporting or sending church? What is the net result of a gospel centered church that helps to plant other churches?
2: Well, one of the the very sweet things when we have uh, a good working relationship with our presbyterys m and A and with uh, a local church planter uh, is our folks feel invested. We regularly pray. Uh, we send folks to be part of the original group. Um, we are uh, trying to figure out ways to support, you know, here at IPC, We have a mission house that's available to to lodge a church planner as he's trying to orient himself to the area. Um, There's just there's multiple touch points, but but also it helps people understand that mission isn't something that's over there uh, across the oceans like mission is right here uh, in the greater Memphis area or whatever the the area you might find yourself in. I mean, people don't fully recognize uh, how diverse a city like Memphis is or how diverse a city like St. Louis is. Um, St. Louis, when we lived there, was a relocation center uh, for asylum seekers. Uh, so the gov- the federal government would actually locate asylum seekers. So we had Ghanaians, Ukrainians. I mean, just a remarkable diversity in St. Louis. And it's the same thing here. Uh, there's There's Kenyan Presbyterians that actually worship in South Memphis. Uh, within two miles of my church, there are 20,000 Chinese. Mm. Um, and so, uh, mission isn't something overseas where we go to them. It's everyone to everywhere, which means that, yeah, we need to support an international missions. That's a distinctive, particularly the PCA, being obedient to the Great Commission and going overseas. Uh, but being obedient to the Great Commission is being obedient to the Great Commission where we are. And again, that goes back then. How do we, how are we obedient to the great commission? How do we evangelize? Well, through the means of grace, which means we need churches and we need the preaching of God's word, which means we need church planting. So it helps us stay engaged uh, with what God is doing uh, as he's on mission in Memphis uh, and in our, in our region uh, to be involved in church planning.
1: Yeah, Sean. So for those that are listening, independent has been a help to the church that i'm planting trinity church pca and there are several families that have come from independent to be a part of our core group and the connectionalism is a beautiful thing in fact yesterday sean a lady from your congregation came to the square in carterville to go shopping I, i don't know her that well at all and she stuck her head inside our office door and said oh i'm so excited to see what you're doing I heard about your new office on social media. I just wanted to say hello and know that I'm praying for you. Mm-hmm. And that's a beautiful thing as a church planner to know that you have a church in your in your metro area that cares about you, that's praying for you, that is standing firm with you, that is there if you need help, and that you're not alone, that you're not doing this all by yourself. And that's what I really appreciate about being, being Presbyterian. That's one of the great aspects of church planting in this tradition.
2: Yeah. Well, and it it makes you wonder why so many of our church planters feel alone because of our tradition, right? I mean, what is it about established churches uh, where uh, we don't think in those terms of not just financial support, but, sending people and praying regularly for our plants and, you know, like I prayed for you a couple of weeks ago and about your office space. Um, you know, people who from live in Collierville to go to IBC should be sticking their head in and saying, Hey, we're praying for you. I mean, that, that's what it
1: should be. Right. <laughs> that's right. Anyways. So we've talked about tradition. We've talked about the reformed faith. Um, Sean, you are a historian. You are a seminary professor. So this is a little, this is a question that's a little outside the norm, but what non-biblical figure in history stands out in stand, excuse me, stands out in your mind in terms of planting churches?
2: Well, that that's it was that's an interesting question. I've been kind of rolling this over in my head because um particularly since the 1800s, we've uh, when you think about the missionary movement, um There's been far more focus on Bible translation upon evangelization um, than discrete planting of churches. Um, So like, for example, uh, you know, David Brainerd, uh, missionary to the Indians, uh, never was able to gather a group for worship. You know, no. um, you know, and so it's it's just an it's just an interesting question when you think of it. Uh, certainly, Jonathan Edwards uh, would be an example of someone who, when he went to Stockbridge, uh, had an both an English-speaking congregation and an Indian congregation, a Native American congregation of Mohicans and Mohawks uh, that he preached to regularly, um, and was a, a a strong supporter of of Indian missions of uh, of evangelizing the West. Uh, and that's that's really been part of Presbyterian history in general. Um, you know, it, it ends up being one of the the dividing points between the Old School and the New School in the nineteenth century in the Presbyterian Church tradition. Um, the whole issue of the the Plan of Union in eighteen oh one that brings together Presbyterians and Congregationalists. So that as uh, people move to the the what was then the Old Northwest, Western New York, Ohio, Indiana, Illinois. Um, uh, they they could start churches and find pulpit supply from either a Presbyterian minister or a Congregational minister uh, and over half of the new school would end up being supported financially by the American Board of Commissioners for Home Missions, uh, which plays an interesting role in the old school, new school uh, division. So, you know, there's, there's been this long history of church planting uh, in our tradition, but there's not a, uh, a notable figure doesn't come to mind. One that I'm actually gonna talk about today, this afternoon, uh, I'm teaching American Presbyterians right now for RTS, um, is uh, Archibald Alexander, uh, when he was the pastor of Third Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, what's commonly called Old Pine Church. Um, He formed uh, a, a, a church planting society called the Philadelphia Evangelical Society. Uh, and the the first church planter he recruits uh, was uh, a man named John Gloucester, who was an African-American slave uh, who was owned by a Presbyterian evangelist uh, named Gideon Blackburn. Uh, Blackburn agrees to release Gloucester um, to come to Philadelphia to plant the first African Presbyterian church. That was the name of the church in 1807. Uh, sadly, Blackburn did not release Gloucester's family. Uh, and Gloucester had to raise $1,500 to buy their freedom. Uh, but, but that first uh, mission church to free Blacks in Philadelphia uh, was started through the impetus of Archibald Alexander, who would be the, the founder of Princeton Seminary and a, a key figure in our tradition. So that would be at least one person that comes immediately to mind.
1: As yes, Sean, Glidean, Gideon Blackwell <clears throat> planted the first Presbyterian church in Alabama. In, oh, okay. in, in the Huntsville area. And he also planted the f- first Presbyterian church of Nashville. And he was a very colorful character for lack of a better description. He almost started a war between the, the Creek nation and the United States over whiskey. Um, yeah. so it sounds like a- him. <laughs> <laughs> You've written a book about the history, of the Presbyterian Church in America, um, a very important book. Um, what is, what are your thoughts on the founding fathers of the denomination in terms of church planning? Did they, did they think it was important? Did they think it was essential?
2: Yeah. So in for continuing church, I, I, I stopped the story in 1974 right after the PCA forms, but even, Before uh, the founding of the PCA on December 4th, 1973, men like Frank Barker, Jim Baird, others, uh, Kennedy Smart, a big part of their impetus for leaving the old denomination, the Presbyterian Church in the U.S. and starting the PCA uh, was to be able to do global mission, but also to do local church planning. Um, And so uh, an organization that starts right before the founding of the PCA that becomes what we now know as mission to North America, but was then mission to the US was headed by a man named Larry Mills. Uh, And uh, Larry's passion and vision uh, was to plant churches and to plant churches in areas that um, were largely underserved by this new denomination. Um, I mean, one of the truisms of the founding of the PCA in 73 was you could pretty much go 100 miles on either side of I-20 as it runs from Uh, Louisiana through Mississippi, Alabama, up through Atlanta to Columbia, South Carolina. Um, And that's where the majority of the PCA churches were. Uh, But in the first years after the founding of the PCA, uh, Larry led MUS to start um, churches in Miami, Florida, uh, a a multiracial church in Miami, Florida, a church in Austin, Texas, Um, very aggressive in trying to go outside of kind of the the places, the traditional places the PCA presently was. There was also relationships uh, that were built before the PCA started uh, with uh, the the Reformed Presbyterian Church Evangelical Synod, uh, which of course comes into the PCA in 1982, to learn from the way the RPCES was planting churches outside of the South. The RPCES was largely a a Midwestern denomination. Um, They had some churches in the Northeast and the Pacific Northwest. Um, but there was a lot of conversations early in the denomination's history with Don McNair, who was leading the uh, home missions uh, for the RPCS, uh, about how to crack the nut, if you will, of doing church planting outside of the South. Because the vision always was for the PCA to be a, a national church, not a regional church. Right. Um, so Larry was instrumental uh, in setting the trajectory for church planting in the PCA from its earliest days.
1: Hmm. Very good. Sean, <clears throat> sometimes you ask questions and, and people that are on your podcast or people that you're talking to answer and you don't exactly know if they really believe what they're saying. Um, so I know that this question is true because you have been an encouragement to me, but in terms of pastors of established churches, what are some ways, how can they be an encouragement to church planners?
2: Well, I, I think that beyond kind of obvious ones, financial support, prayer support, um, exposure to the congregation, regularly bringing church planters uh, before the congregations um, so that they get to know the church planters and feel invested in the church planters um, regularly before your missions committee. I mean, those all should be obvious kinds of things. Maybe they're not obvious. Um, I, I really do think that, um, one of the single most important things that we at established churches or institutional churches can do, uh, is, is to, to, to be the big cheerleader for not just the individual church planter, but for church planting in general. Um, because there's a synergy between the two of them. Sometimes we, we, we know the individual, but that becomes then our single commitment to church planting and we lose the larger thing or we're big cheerleaders for church planting, but we lose the individual. But if we're doing all the things that I mentioned that I think are obvious, or at least they're obvious to me about how to support an individual church planter, then, then the best way we can help them is to say, we are for church planting in general. Uh, and we want to see many, many churches planted uh, within our region. Uh, and the reason that helps the individual church planter is then your people uh, within that established church, they're, they're just, they're church planting oriented people. Uh, And then they're doing what you experienced the other day. Hey, I'm going to go down to the square and I'm going to do a little shopping, but I'm going to poke my head in and and say, Hey to Hunter and let him know I'm praying for him as in, you know, because it's, it's not enough for, for, for me to support Hunter. Although that hopefully is a helpful thing. What Hunter needs to know is there are 1300 people at IPC who are praying for him, who are invested in what he's doing. Um, He's not on an Island, you know, um, that and 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 we're going to support him thick or thin. That that then becomes a real strength, uh, a bulwark in those times where, wow, it's it's really hard. It's COVID, you know, it's it's right. crazy town. Um, we, if Hunter knows. Wow, there's a there's a, a cloud of witnesses behind me. That that gives. I, hopefully, it gives you some energy for your work. And so, uh, I, to me, that's the the single biggest thing established churches can do for church planners is to be church planting churches uh, have that as their ethos and their character
1: that's right that's very important when i was leading the mid-south network it unfortunately it was often very clear when i would walk into a church um, i could tell very quickly is this a church planting church or is this a church that is not concerned with church multiplication and you know, Independent is one of those churches that when you walk in the foyer, it doesn't take long to realize that this church is excited about missions. They're excited about church multiplication. Sean, thank you so much for being on our podcast today. Very helpful. We appreciate you taking the time to speak with us.
2: Thanks for having me.
0: That's the last word for now. Thanks to everyone for listening. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at Five Points Planting or by email at fivepointschurchplanting at gmail.com. That's the number five. See y'all next week.